Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I just wanted to put together a short episode for today because I am getting ready to visit my son Cameron in Alabama. I am so excited to see him. I don't get to see him that often. He's in the military. He went in in 2018. He just completed his fifth year of being in the Army and is starting his sixth year. And he's going to be graduating from the Army's WALKS program, which is warrant officer candidate school he will graduate as a warrant officer this coming friday which by the time that you hear this he will be a warrant officer one so now the way that he's addressed changes he's going to either be mr or warrant officer and he leaves behind the other titles that he's held when he was on the enlisted side. He went in to basic combat training and graduated as a PFC, which is a private first class. And if you know the military, they love their acronyms. Everything's got an acronym. After boot camp, the soldiers are sent over to AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training, where you learn to be an expert in your chosen field. His was orthopedic specialist. And during that time, you know, you rank up as you go through and he ranked up to a specialist from a PFC to a specialist. And then they sent him to his first assignment, which was at Fort Bliss, and he spent a lot of time there. While he was at Fort Bliss, he became a corporal, followed by a sergeant, and then they sent him to Korea. When he returned, he found out that he had been recommended for staff sergeant, but uh, did not stay in long enough to claim that. So it's been a journey. And I am so proud of this kid. I can't even tell you. I gave you that whole entire list not to brag about him, but because almost every single one of those assignments required him to go to a different base. So he has so far been to six. This is his sixth assignment. And I love visiting him at these places. So he is currently stationed at Fort Novacell in Alabama. And if you don't recognize that name, it's because it's one of the bases that did have a name change. It was formerly known as Fort Rucker, which was named after Honorary General Colonel Edmund Rucker of the Confederate Army, who fought under Nathan Bedford Forrest, a slave trader, and the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. So um, a lot of the bases, unfortunately, were named 
after people that history has left less than a favorable opinion of. So Fort Novosel is named after Chief Warrant Officer 4, Michael Novosel Sr. He was an Army aviator, a Medal of Honor recipient. He was an active member of three conflicts, including two tours of Vietnam, where he rescued 5,500 wounded soldiers. And he showed extreme courage and heroism under fire. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background on that. So I've been making a list for this visit, which by the way, there is a regional airport, it's called Dothan, near Fort Novosel. But in order to get there, it was going to cost quite a bit more. I mean, I think it was something like 750 or 800 extra dollars to do a round trip from there. So if you don't do that, because this fort, is in the middle of nowhere, you have to go through Atlanta and land at different places. I mean, I I suppose you could go to Birmingham, but the closest driving distance to Fort Novosel was Valparaiso, Florida. So I'm going to Atlanta, Georgia first, then I'm going to Valparaiso, Florida, and then I will be driving two hours or two and a half hours to get to Fort Novosel. So this is going to be fun. I'm doing it by myself. I am not a stranger to solo travel. And, you know, of course, I love going with other people, but I love going by myself as well. I mean, I love just being able to, you know, totally change up my itinerary without upsetting anybody else's plans of what they want to do for the day. So I'm really looking forward to this. So here's what I've got on my list so far. And I have never been to Alabama. I would like to spend a day in Montgomery. And all of these places are very close to one another. There is Dr. Martin Luther King's home at the Dexter Parsonage, where he put together the Montgomery bus boycott. And it was also a home that was bombed. So there's a lot of history there. I think he was there for about six years. At the time, he was a pastor at the Baptist Church that's just down the street. So, of course, I want to go there. I want to go to the historic Alabama Capitol building where the Selma March ended and the bus stop where Rosa Parks climbed aboard during the Montgomery bus boycott. And, you know, her name is synonymous with that boycott, as is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who is the one that organized that. But it gives this false sense, unless you're a historian, you know, like I remember sitting in history class when I was younger, you know, going through elementary school and middle school and high school. It wasn't until I got in college and I actually ended up in an honors history course that I really paid attention. But in the early years, I didn't pay that much attention. I mean, there were names that came up, you know. So I did a report on Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea. So that stays in my mind, you know, but There's other names that I know of them. I know a little bit of what they did and other events that I know about, but I don't know in depth enough. So I did a little bit of reading and, you know, there were a lot of other people. There were about 89 people who were arrested during these boycotts and they were not arrested on a single day. This was a 13 month long boycott. And it resulted in the Supreme Court ruling that segregation on buses was unconstitutional. So there is the bus stop where Rosa Parks stepped on that bus that fateful day and a statue of her that I would like to visit. 
So there's some, um, there's a lot of difficult subject matter there because Alabama is the seat of the civil rights movement. And it's also, it's got a very strong history in Confederacy and white supremacy. I mean, these are two issues that just butt head on and clash. And so there's a lot of hotspot issues. They might not be completely on fire right now, but they're definitely hotspot. In fact, just last week, Alabama's congressional map was struck down by the Supreme Court as being blatantly racist. And two of the judges were Trump appointed. So I don't really want to get political, but sometimes you just can't help but remark that, whoa, you know, there is definitely something going on here. And it makes me a little bit wary of going to places like this because you're hearing so much on the news. And I have to remind myself that whenever I've gone into the South or to other states where what you're hearing on the news is super incendiary, it's not the people themselves, it's the government of those states that are putting out the rhetoric and that are putting out a particular... Uh, personality for that state. So I'm, you know, I'm really interested in in getting to meet the people who live there, as well as visiting these historic places. Some of the fun things that I want to do is there's a Hank Williams Museum. Hank Williams, by the way, is going to be 100 years old or would have been 100 years old on Sunday, September 17th. So I'm hoping for a month long party extravaganza to happen. And one of the weird things that the museum advertises, it seems a little distasteful and disrespectful, but it also gets your attention because we are seekers of any morbidity that's out there. So they advertise that they have Hank Williams' death car on display in the museum. Um, So I had to do a little bit of reading, you know, because I thought, well, did he get in an accident? I know who Hank Williams is. I, I like Hank Williams Jr.'s music a lot more. In fact, I have a playlist that is called Honky Tonk, and it's got Dwight Yoakam and Randy Travis and Alan Jackson, who has a great song about Hank Williams. Um, it's been sung by a lot of people, but I really like his version, Midnight in Montgomery. So the car was a 1952 Olympic Cadillac Series 62 convertible in baby blue. It is a beautiful car and it's got a crazy little history. Beginning with Hank Williams being driven around in it in December of 1952, like December 30th, because he was supposed to go to some concerts. And the first one was... He was going to fly from Montgomery, Alabama, to Charleston, West Virginia, but there was this terrible snowstorm. And so he hired a kid, um, I didn't write his name down, but the last name I know was Carr, C-A-R-R. He was a college student to drive him two days into Knoxville, Tennessee, so that then from there they could catch a flight into Charleston. And they did catch the flight, but they were turned back because the weather was too bad. So in the meantime, Williams was slowly ODing on chloral hydrate and alcohol. 
chloral hydrate is a sedative and so is alcohol and it's a really bad combination. But he got pretty sick so they took him to the doctor and the doctor gave him two shots which were both a combination of vitamin B12 which is supposed to kind of give you some energy and morphine. So poor Hank now has a lot of stuff in his body and there are some stories of him having gotten into like a hellacious fight right before this ride and got beat up pretty bad so that might have had some contributing factors to this when they got back on the road williams had to be carried to the car because he was so messed up on all of this stuff and the the show in charleston got canceled and the driver was told to take him to canton ohio instead and Nobody had really heard a peep from Hank Williams for quite a while. They just thought he was sleeping. And the driver, well, the driver anyway, thought he was sleeping. And they got into Bristol, Virginia, and the driver car was very tired. So he asked for a relief driver. He just didn't think it was safe for him to continue driving Mr. Williams. And the three of them are now on the road. They end up stopping for gas and coffee in West Virginia and finally realize without making it into Canton, Ohio, that Hank Williams had been dead for so long that rigor mortis had set in. That was January 1st of 1953 and he was only 29 years old. And, you know, he was probably very, very sedated and wasn't really suffering, but it's just this story of how artists become tools for the entertainment industry, where they're just being moved around from one place to another. And, you know, who cares that there's heavy snow falling and that they're probably tired and that we're sending them all over the United States now to get to where they need to be. And it, it just makes me sad. But Anyway, I hope that there is some big celebration planned for his 100th birthday. I also want to go to his memorial and grave site, which is also right there in Montgomery. And then this is such a gem. I am so thrilled about this. F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald's home, they lived for a short time in Montgomery, is right there too. And it's a museum now. So I want to check that out. And if there's time... The set of Tim Burton's 2003 film, Big Fish, which is one of my hands down favorite films ever with Ewan McGregor and Billy Crudup and Jessica Lange and Albert Finney and Helena Bonham Carter is still there. So the property that they built this set on, the town of Spectre in that film, and if you have not seen it, please watch it. It is highly entertaining. It's it's just a great fantasy film and really well put together. It's still there. And when they were leaving, the couple that owns that land said, just leave it up. And it's been an attraction since 2003. Now we are in 2023. So I don't know what shape it's in. I'm imagining that there's been storms and all kinds of stuff that have happened since then that maybe have destroyed some of it. And there's a little bit of evidence 
evidence of that on the sites that I've read, but there's also goats. So you can still get out there. You can still see some of the set. You can feed the goats. They love to have visitors apparently. And it looks like fun. So I might do that. I'm, I'm not sure. If there's enough time, that'll be like the cherry on top. Also, I found this really interesting. The town of Enterprise, which is right next to Fort Novacell, is full of statues dedicated to the bull weevil. Yep, you heard that right. So (laughs) way back in the early 1900s, the town of Enterprise grew a lot of cotton and the bull weevils would eat it all up. That's one of their favorite foods. And so this one year here, they all come by the millions, destroying the crop. And it finally dawned on somebody that instead of planting more cotton, they could diversify and plant things like peanuts and other crops that the bull weevils weren't going to eat. And so the only statue dedicated to a agricultural pest is in Enterprise. And so I just need to go and see this. And then apparently there's like 30 or something like that bull weevils around town. So they sell these statues and you get to decorate them however you want. And People put them in front of their businesses, and there's even like a Ronald McWeevil. Uh, there's one that's dedicated to a mathematician. I think it's like Abacus Bullweevil, but that sounds like a lot of fun. And if I get a chance, I want to go on a hike. But that's a lot to plan. I'm only going to be there for three days, so who knows what I'm going to get to see. So one of the things that I thought, now that I've shared all of that and how excited I am to go to Alabama to see Cameron's graduation and also see some of the state and some of its historical landmarks is that I thought I would do a short series every once in a while I'll just come on here and talk about one of my visits to see Cameron you know clearly I can't tell you about Alabama because I haven't been there yet but I think I'll just start at the beginning He went to basic combat training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And so I did a lot of the same thing that I'm doing here with the Alabama trip, which is, you know, let's just figure out what is around there, what we can see, what would be amazing. And Fort Sill was amazing in a different way than Alabama is. I mean, again, these military installations are surrounded by a lot of history that remains unresolved and makes you uncomfortable to be there. While at the same time, they are surrounded by so much beauty that your mind just explodes and wonderful people. So, you know, again, that juxtaposition that I talked about, just that contrast of, I am learning about something that I don't like, and yet it's in the past, but its shadow remains here in the present. And so um, it's tough, but we did go to Oklahoma in 2018. Cameron graduated on Veterans Day 2018 after 10 weeks of being in the basic combat training program. And the fort itself has a lot of interesting things. It was built during the Indian Wars, So there's a lot of that history there. Like think the names Buffalo Bill Cody, Wild Bill Hickok, the Buffalo Soldiers of the 10th Cavalry, Pawnee Bill's Wild West Show, Apache Warrior, Geronimo, Kiowa Chief, 
Satanta and Comanche Chief Quana Parker. All three of those last men that I just mentioned are buried on Fort Sill. So they are within the property there of the installation. And there's a few cemeteries there. What's interesting about Fort Sill cemeteries is in a lot of places, cemeteries are segregated. And that's not the case for Fort Sill. You've got the Indian chiefs and warriors and their spouses and children buried with the Buffalo Soldiers spouses and children along with the officers and their spouses and children so it is a non-segregational cemetery so these chiefs and warriors were caught during the indian wars and geronimo and many apache were captured and jailed there for a really long time and eventually they kind of became um citizens of Fort Sill, for lack of a better word, and some of them even joined the cavalry to help the American side. Um, Geronimo tried to escape several times. He eventually died of pneumonia, and he is buried there. His wife is buried on one side of him, and his his daughter is buried on the other side of him. That was an interesting day to drive around and to take a look at such important and great history and pay respects to these Indian chiefs and warriors who fought valiantly to keep the land that was being taken from them. There's also three museums that are on the site, so we did go and check those out. My favorite thing, though, I mean, the thing that I just kind of went bananas over and packed my hiking boots for was the Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge. The cool thing about that place, first of all, it is 60,000 acres of prairies and granite mountains and lakes and streams and birds and bugs and reptiles and you name it. One of the biggest impacts that were made in bringing back the American bison was by William T. Hornaday. Back in 1907, he was the first director of the Wildlife Conservation Society of America and Theodore Roosevelt. They teamed up together and created this American bison program because During the Indian Wars, we literally decimated the bisons almost into extinction. And the two of them got together and they realized that there were bison at the Bronx Zoo. Can you imagine this? Like in the middle of a city. And even back then, it was a crowded place and it was no place for these bison to be. But there they were. They took 15 of these bison from the Bronx Zoo, put them on a train and sent them to Oklahoma, to the Medicine Mountains, and just set them free to roam and be the animals that they were meant to be. By the 1920s, so 20 years later, there were 20,000 bison that had started out as 15. And today there's over a half a million. That is so remarkable. In fact, there's only so many animals that this refuge can have. 
you know, when they start proliferating past a certain point, they do have programs in place. And, and, you know, sadly, some of it is hunting. I have eaten bison. And I think that if you're hunting for several families or to stock your freezer with food for the year, and there is an overpopulation of these animals... I don't see a real problem with it. I know some people do, but um, they do have hunting when the numbers get too far out. And that says something that, you know, we might not have bison today at all had the American Bison Program not been started. So I read about that and I was like, we are going to go bison hunting, not to kill them, but to look for them because I don't hunt. But I really wanted to find some bison in the wild, you know. I've been on Catalina Island. Catalina Island is very close to Los Angeles, and there are some bison on the backside of Catalina Island. And, you know, just recently, somebody walked up to one of them and got hurt, which is dumb. Don't walk up to bison or any other wild animal. I know that they look amazing, and they probably look very relaxed and friendly when they're laying down, but they will hurt you. They are wild animals. And in fact, there were signs all over the place. It was really funny because one of the other things that are there at the refuge is wild longhorn. These are the cattle that have the horns that don't go straight up. They go straight out from the side of their heads and turn up at the end into a very sharp peak. And they are enormous. And I'm driving past these two cattle and and it kind of weirded me out a little bit because I'm like, oh, did they get loose from a ranch because you normally see them domesticated? And the sign said, do not walk up to any of the animals here because they are not friendly. They are wild. And then it had a listing, bison, longhorn, elk, And I just thought, wow, I can't believe that they have to put these signs out because people do just walk up to them and you've seen the videos, but don't walk up to them. It's not worth the picture. And really, we need to be respectful of nature. And that's the end of my rant. Just respect nature. Um, I found out when we went on this search for bison in our car, we drove the entire drivable area of this refuge. We did not find a single one of the 300,000 head of bison there or 30,000, 300,000. I know that's a big difference, but I definitely there was a three and at least one zero followed by a comma. So we go on this search for them, never found a single one. And I have to say, before we left, we were checking out the weather forecast and it said that it was going to be in the mid to high 40s. And we thought, oh, okay, well, we can handle that. We got clothing to handle that. We get there and the reality was low 30s to high 40s, which is a big difference And I just kept thinking, you know, those buffalo are probably hiding somewhere and going, look at these dumb humans running around in this cold. And they were probably keeping themselves warm, huddling up next to each other. But we saw Rocky Mountain elk. We saw wild turkeys, which are so fun to look at, making their funny noises and just chasing each other up a hill in a single file. And my favorite was we were driving down a road and I see this sign that says Prairie Dog Crossing. And I'm like... Oh, ha ha, how cute. Look at that little sign. And all of a sudden, these two prairie dogs just 
zip zip in front of the car. And I'm like, whoa, I stopped on the brakes. And there was a little turnout and there was fields on both sides of this turnout just filled with these little prairie dogs. And I'd never seen them before. You know, there are these fat gophers and they'd come out of their holes and stand on their rear legs literally stand up and put their little prep paws on their hips almost or they hold them in front of them and they just start barking and it is barking and then they start running circles around each other and they're going so fast that they're actually creating a ton of dust and it is hilarious there are signs there that say that if you touch disturb harm a prairie dog there's a five thousand dollar fine because they are protected so they take their prairie dogs really seriously and it it really is a lot of fun to watch them there and one of the things while i was going through either walking or driving through this refuge was that i realized how beautiful it was the thought crossed my mind this is the most beautiful place I have ever been in. And I had to check myself, not because I've traveled the whole entire world. I've been to many beautiful places. And I had to think about all the different places that I've been at. And the answer that came back is that Oklahoma, at least that refuge, is the most beautiful place in the world. And so if you find yourself in November, anywhere near there, just do yourself a favor and go. The color of the lichen on the granite mountain faces is spectacular along with that texture. There's these breathtaking bodies of water and the plains are filled with different grasses. You know, and you suddenly find yourself singing that old Western song, that unofficial cowboy anthem, Home on the Range. It's just got such comforting words to it, actually. So serene. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. It's almost like a prayer. And that was Oklahoma. It was really, really a beautiful place. And I would just love to go back there and hike through those mountains. Uh, One of the things that was bothersome with that place is that it is part of Fort Sill. So the refuge itself is outside of Fort Sill, but then you get into this military installation and they are throwing mortars there. So you're hearing the concussion of them while you're enjoying the outside. Eventually, it just kind of becomes part of the auditory landscape. So I wanted to give you a little bit of background, maybe, and encourage you to go to some of these places that maybe are not your typical vacation destinations, but they are filled with history, really interesting places, and also very, very beautiful grounds. I mean, it's worth going just for that. If you like to hike or any of the outdoor stuff, the Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge is the place to go. And you can see cute prairie dogs. I mean, so adorable. I, you know, like I said, I do go down that deep rabbit hole and I love learning about all of the history. And then when I get there, I learn even more. And that really makes a trip much more memorable for me. So if you are nerdy like I am, definitely go to Oklahoma. 
Lawton, Oklahoma, and enjoy it. I'm going to finish packing and will hopefully return with an epic report about Alabama. I'm really excited for this. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. And the best way to start doing exactly that is to check out the show notes for selected links on the places and events that I mentioned. Please also keep sending in your questions and comments. I read them all. And if you have a fun, amazing, or inspiring story to share, drop me a line. I'd love to hear it because the world needs more amazing stories. Please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E Q U A I N T R E L E Podcast. I am Sil Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, travel, discovery, elegance, and 